Oxford Centre for Triple Value Healthcare, otherwise known as 3V, scans over 30 journals seeking out important papers on value. To save you time, 3V assesses this research to identify the implications for value-based healthcare and summarizes them on our blogs and in our podcasts. It's a delight for us today to have Dr. Karen Tumley. Karen is the medical director of St. Helena Hospice. Uh, she's also a GP. And um, we've been working with Karen on different issues around end of life. So we thought this week we would ask her to comment on the end of life atlas, which was produced by Public Health England uh, back in the tail end of 2018. So Karen, um, what was your immediate reaction when the Atlas of Variation came out? Um, well, we welcomed it. Um, I found it very interesting, and we um, we welcomed it as a as a reflection and an objective measure of some of the work that we've been doing. It's um, reassuring. We were very familiar with our local statistics in uh, North East Essex, but I think what the Atlas does is it. Um, it shows that on a greater scale and enables us to compare ourselves to other areas. Um, so not only could we see mapped objectively um, some of the successes that we've had, but we could also see some of the challenges um, that we've got in the future. Improvements we can be pleased with? I mean, yes. I think if, if we go back to the... Um, National End of Life Care Strategy from 2008, I think we can really see the impact of that. Uh, and what we're seeing is um, a change away from um, death being uh, more common in hospital, um, and we're seeing um, rates of end of life care offered in people's homes and in care homes uh, and in usual place of residence much, much more um, common now than it was 10 years ago. So I, I think now we see an interest in some of these markers that perhaps wasn't there previously. I think um, the institutionalized nature of death, the medicalization of it, had been largely unchallenged. And I think the Atlas um, represents a, um, a moment of progress, really. We can look back over 10 years and say, look, we can see how far we've come. We also have a chance to say, uh, and now let's look at where we, where we can go from here and why is it that some areas are doing better than others. So just to pick up on that, where we go from here. So, um, so you've already touched on that first issue so around the variation. Any reflections or thoughts on why there might be variation or what may, maybe needs to be done? Um, so um, when I think about why there's variation, I look at other comparative areas. Um, so for us, particularly as we um, move into an, uh, an STP footprint, we look at the other areas in that. So we are uh, mapped as one CCG, um, and we have two other CCGs forming our, um, our STP. And we can look at that and say, why is it that they do better? For example, I can see that in Suffolk, 
It looks like um, although they have more um, hospital admissions uh, for people in the last months of life, um, they have um, less deaths. So that would suggest to me that they are much better at getting people out of hospital uh, once admitted. Um, and that makes me want to go there. In fact, I have subsequent to the Atlas publication um, been to visit that area and said, what can we learn from you? Um, so I think that's really helpful. Um, I'm interested in how that is different um, nationally between different areas as regards deprivation and as regards uh, the different demographics that areas um, have. I can see, I know um, my own area is an area where people retire to from London and, and an area with a great deal of care homes. You can see that in our data. And so how does that then um, impact the end-of-life experience for us as a community? So I think for all those reasons, it's um, a really useful and, um, uh, and a piece of work that will drive clinical change. So that's great. So it, well, it certainly sounds that you clearly, <coughs> it provokes curiosity in you and you actually went and sort things out, which is exactly what Atlas should do. Let me ask you though, um, so you talked a bit about the deprivation and, you know, in, uh, care homes and so on. Next time around when they do the next Atlas, are those areas of analysis where perhaps you'd like a little bit more detail so you can really understand um, you know, knowing your own levels of deprivation, the numbers of care homes and so forth. Is that something you'd like perhaps a bit more analysis on, a bit more in depth? Yes, that would be really helpful. I mean, if I'm going to um, dig down, I, I can't use the data um, as it's published um, for any investigation around deprivation um, and the markers that it uses around um, place of care, um, uh, and care use. So that, that for me would be um, particularly useful. I know some of that data because we analyze um, uh, our deprivation across our area. So I have local statistics that we use for uh, locality planning. But I think, I think we have to acknowledge that, um, you know, the, the deprivation that our communities um, face uh, is really relevant to some of the markers here in the Atlas. Brilliant. So, Karen, I, I know um, that North East Essex uh, actually had some good numbers. You, you've already talked about uh, uh, stuff you've learned locally, but uh, as we discussed uh, before, you know, fewer people die in North East Essex in hospitals than in other places. Uh, now, I happen to know that that's through a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Could you just describe what you've done so listeners can perhaps learn a bit from what North East Essex have done? Well, what we've done is a, a, a population-based end-of-life care um, approach. So uh, about six years ago, um, the PCT, as it was then, um, um, developed a locally enhanced service for primary care, um, encouraging GPs to identify people who may be approaching uh, the last year of life and to have conversations with them uh, about their care preferences. Um, at the same time, um, the hospice was commissioned to develop a 24-hour single point of access uh, for people in the last year of life. So those people identified had somewhere they could ring to help them coordinate their care both in and out of hours. Um, and as, alongside that, the hospice was commissioned to develop, develop uh, an electronic palliative care coordination system. Uh, we call those an uh, EPAC system. And locally, ours is called MyCare Choices Register. Now, the benefit of the MyCare Choices Register 
is that it is a secure electronic database that is accessible by general practice, by the hospice, um, by the hospital, by out-of-hours doctors, and now by the um, ambulance service. And with those three initiatives, we built a firm foundation for change across our area that was greater than the impact on organizations alone. So a patient at end of life is very unlikely to experience care from just one provider. The, the person will move from primary care, community care services, perhaps sometimes through ambulance services, hospital and background. And, and yet, previously, initiatives dealt with just individual providers. And so what we did is we just started to work together. Now, that makes it sound easy. There were many challenges along the way. But by acknowledging that that was extra work for primary care and that that's where the work started, that's where the conversation began, um, and acknowledging and respecting that, I think it really gave us a foothold in this work. And then in partnership with the, with the hospice, being able to offer these patients something tangible and say, here is a service that you may be able to use and let me explain. Let me explain what will happen if you share the choices, if you share your preferences um, in this way. Let me explain how that might help things to work better for you. Um, and so what we saw very quickly um, was the impact of that collaboration. Um, and we saw hospital deaths fall in our area and um, the deaths uh, in usual place of residence as a proportion of total deaths increased um, much much faster than the national average. And we really think that that's due to the fact that there was coordination between the different systems. Um, the hospital um, started looking at the register and then discovered that it had useful information. And they set themselves an internal um, key performance indicator that they wanted to look at this register information every time somebody with um, on my care choices cross their threshold. So they will then measure that and report that internally uh, as a measure of quality to show that they are part of this system uh, and not dealing with these, um, these people in isolation. I think we need to really protect our patients from repetition, um, from having to tell their story um, repetitively. But also now I think individual organizations are, are quite good at having some of these difficult discussions around end-of-life issues. For example, the issue about cardiopulmonary resuscitation. And what we need to do really is respect that this is a conversation that people don't want to have every time they cross a threshold into a different organization. So by good recording and sharing of information, we're, we're enabling the conversation with the next provider to stand on the firm footing of the conversation that has been held elsewhere so that somebody isn't saying, have you ever heard about, but somebody is starting that conversation with, I can see that you've had some of these conversations before and my understanding of what your preferences are is this, can we build from there? And that has transformed the way that patients move through our system. We um, looked recently at some of our local data in more depth and we found that if somebody is on our local MyCare Choices register, um, that they have a chance of dying in the hospital uh, of about 25% whereas the average chance of dying in hospital for somebody uh, is 46%. So we can see that having these conversations and making some of these plans and sharing preferences can be really transformative to people as they face these challenging last months and years of life.
Fantastic. I mean, it almost sounds like you <clears throat> you 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 were thinking about the NHS long term plan uh, years in advance, in that you were um, working out ways you could collaborate better and use digital to enhance that. Um, so, uh, but I, you know, I, knowing the work that all of you done, we shouldn't underestimate the importance of bringing people together, having the conversations, and coming up with this common purpose. So, given you've got that group and it is doing very well, what what patient groups or what the, which group of people at the end of life are you now going to be? thinking about uh, and, and what issues are there. I mean, you already mentioned about primary care there and in previous conversations, you and I have talked about um, areas where the, the, there may be problems with primary care. We've talked about care homes and I know dementia's on your mind. So what are, what are the things that you're, um, you're going to be working on next? Yeah, as you say, Tim, we we've, we um, are looking at different patient groups uh, and I think like most um palliative care and end-of-life initiative, we started with um, people that were more straightforward to identify where prognostication was more straightforward. So when we first developed the register, um, there were many patients on there who had a cancer diagnosis. But gradually we've built on that and um, worked with uh, some of our colleagues in primary and secondary care to really talk about the benefits of the register and this um, uh, planned approach with people with other diagnoses such as those with heart failure and um, COPD and then we've built on that starting to look at um, how does this approach work for people who are living with frailty, multiple comorbidities um, and dementia. For example, the register initially um, was designed for people just in the year of life but Actually, if you have a diagnosis of dementia, the time to be having those conversations around uh, priorities and preferences for the future is as early in the diagnosis as that person um, can um, wishes to have them. Um, and so we widened the register in order um, that people who are not in the thought to be in the last year of life could also record their choices for the future. Uh, and we've seen hundreds of people um, with dementia take that opportunity to record their preferences. We then could see that we had an inequality um, uh, that was a disadvantage for people in care homes. Although we could see that 25% um, of people that die each year in our area uh, die um, within a care home environment, only a small percentage of people on the register um, were residents of care homes. So we did a particularly targeted piece of work around um, promoting um, the register and choice and advanced care planning for people living in care homes. And we've seen that percentage increase. Um, a challenge um, for this year is to um, create the changes needed for our IT systems so that the My Care Choices Register can be seen by care home staff. Currently, they do not have direct access to the register, so although they can talk about it and they can ring the single point of access to ask about what choices are recorded, they cannot see it directly, and that disempowers care home staff who are key to supporting the resident with their choices and their care. So we have now um, a, a development uh, project um, in the pipeline uh, to facilitate that access for care home staff and for social care staff. And what we've been doing in preparation for that is working with partners in the gold standard framework um, and uh, with, with the hospice here um, doing a, teaching and advanced care planning for some of our partners 
uh, in social care. Um, another group that we're reaching out to are residents of um, sheltered housing. We saw from our local data that um, our sheltered housing residents had a much higher risk of um, uh, dying within hospital uh, compared to other people um, in our community. And so we have done work around um, uh, sharing uh, knowledge about the register uh, and advanced care planning with the visiting officers for the sheltered housing in order that they can advocate some of their residents and um, signpost their residents to the services where they can um, uh, um, start talking about what's important to them and how they would like to deal with their health problems in the future. Brilliant, brilliant. There's a whole range of sounds like a lot of work going on and, um, uh, you know, really building success. So just to sort of wrap up now, I mean, I think the listeners um been very helpful going through the Atlas, understanding what we've picked up in there, how you've used the Atlas locally, and then to understand uh, how you... Um, uh, how you've been successful and what where you're going next. So, any other um, any other points or any other areas you feel uh, you want to pick up on? Um, I think for the future, data that I'm interested in is um, around what's happening in primary care. Um, I think that we we know that. Um, most people facing life limiting illness do not want to die in hospital, but we also know lots of other things about what they want, that they want good symptom relief, that they want good support, good information. They want to be included in the decisions that are made about them, um, and they wanted their care, their care to be well coordinated. If we just look at simple um, metrics such as um, place of death, we miss out on a whole range of um, quality, uh, and I'm uh, and I'm concerned that we are not binary in our approach to quality. So I would really like to start seeing some of the data around access to primary care and community services. I see a lot of focus um, nationally on um, enabling patients to get out of hospital, but I want to see also an increased focus on improving the quality of primary care. Do we know if these patients in our community are discharged to primary care services that, are, that have the capacity to offer them the support uh, that they need? Uh, do we know whether they are discharged to areas that have sufficient community services? So I would like to see the data, the data set develop um, to the um, offering of EPACs. Uh, and so we capture some of that um, on uh, future atlases um, and then something about the primary care support uh, that people uh, um, are able to access. If you want to stay informed about important developments in value-based healthcare, you can subscribe by joining our mailing list at www.com. 3vh.org